0: The FT. Hello, I'm Henry Mance, the media correspondent at the Financial Times, and this is Best of the FT podcast, where we cut and paste the best bits from the past week. In this show, we're looking at the hopes for Italian Prime Minister Matteo Renzi, Egypt's focus on building houses in the desert, and why some oil companies want a tax on carbon. But we start with technology. There's a pretty good chance that you're listening to this podcast on a mobile phone. This week, Swedish technology group Ericsson forecast there would be 9 billion mobile phone subscriptions by 2020. That's more than one per person. And that 6 billion of those subscriptions would be smartphones. Over to Dan Thomas, who writes about telecoms companies for the FT.
1: The fact is that people are fundamentally changing how they approach the internet. The days of sitting in front of the PC waiting for the pages to load is gone. Now people are surfing on the move on a bus on, on the way to a meeting, or particularly at home sitting on their sofa using their Wi-Fi networks. And that changes how people, uh, how companies in the media sector, for example, can really approach their services and, and how they adapt how they provide their programming or their music or whatever it is they're doing to their consumers.
0: Smartphones are the fastest growing platform for videos, but as Shannon Bond, our US media and marketing correspondent, told me, this can be a headache for the makers of TV programmes and other video content.
2: Before, for example, in TV, they had big bundles with cable or, or satellite subscriptions um, that where, where you have quite a few channels and some of them are subsidising each other but in this new world of mobile content we're seeing maybe people are consuming fewer channels but maybe more video per channel but that changes you know what they can actually the content owner can charge for the different shows or channels that they're hosting
0: and is there any sense that people feel they should be paying less for content if they're watching it on their mobile so fine i'll pay $7 or 7 pounds a month to watch something on on my tv set but it's a screen which is much smaller the experience isn't quite as good and i've got other options so therefore i'll only pay a couple of dollars a month
2: yeah i think that is a, a big challenge for the media companies in sort of showing consumers that there is a value even if it is on a smaller screen and showing their consumers that there is a value sort of to the choices that they have but frankly if people you know people are sort of saying i don't need 200 television channels you know i'm happy with a, a more limited selection that i can get on the go They aren't necessarily going to want to pay as much. It's not that they don't want to pay, they're just valuing it differently.
0: Mobile phones also have a downside for consumers. Richard Jolly, a professor at London Business School, has coined the term hurry sickness. What does he mean?
1: Basically, executives, in particular senior executives, don't anymore have time to think.
0: That sounds familiar. Professor Jolly sees lots of causes. Complex organisations, too many meetings... But he says that increased communication, helped by mobile devices, is one of the problems.
1: There used to be a time when we had work, then you had commuting, and then you had life. And now, almost every executive, the first thing they do when they wake up is check their email. And the last thing they do when they're lying in bed is check their email. And they're connected the whole time in between. So, email really, uh, I think, has caused a massive problem. Whilst it has some benefits, it's just out of control.
0: By the way, if you're wondering whether you have hurry sickness, here is one of the symptoms identified by Professor
1: Jolly. You, uh, you press the door close button in elevators uh, and uh, you know, one of the unusual facts for many people is that um, these door close buttons, over half of them aren't connected to anything other than a light bulb. In the trade, they call them mechanical placebos.
0: So that's the last time I pressed the close button. Now to Italy. Matteo Renzi became Prime Minister last year with high hopes he could shake up the country's economy. The good news is that the economy will probably grow this year, if only by 1%. The bad news is that Mr Renzi's party took a hit in recent local elections, partly because unemployment remains high. Ferdinando Giuliano, our economics correspondent, said that the government needs to reduce taxes on employers. That means doing two things.
3: One is cutting spending, and the other one is probably starting to cut pension benefits, which in Italy are very, very high, disproportionately high. Often. Now, these are unpopular moves. Obviously, touching pensions or cutting spending means going and affecting people's income. So I would say the big uh, obstacle to Renzi's economic reforms is not so much the political reforms. Agenda, which can be complementary, is really the political will by him to make enemies as well as friends.
0: And in case all of this seems like an age-old problem, here's a reminder why Italy matters now.
3: Renzi, although many people don't like that expression, there is some truth in the fact that Renzi is one of the last hopes for Italy. You can't see many people outside him who could really try and turn Italy around within the Eurozone. The alternatives at the moment look like Eurosceptic alternatives. And if Matteo Renzi
0: can't sort out the country's problems, then perhaps nobody can. Now across the Mediterranean to Egypt... Like many parts of the world, it has a property problem. Lots of people want houses, and cities like Cairo aren't big enough. The government's response has been building new planned cities in the desert. Heber Saleh, the FT's Cairo correspondent, asked David Sims, author of a book on the subject, how the new towns had fared.
4: Egypt probably has more new towns and a larger new town program than anywhere else in the world. 22 functioning new towns. The problem is... They have been designed and built and managed in such a way that in their own terms they have not been a success.
0: What does Mr Sims mean by not a success?
4: The total population of all the new towns in Egypt was about 700,000 people at the last census. And they're talking about there should be 20 million people. So there's a problem of attracting the normal person to go to these new towns.
0: One hurdle is that Egyptians will only move to the new towns if there is work, and that doesn't just mean a formal job.
4: They also have informal jobs, and they resort to the informal sector for all sorts of ways of making those ends meet, and you can't do them in the new towns. Why not? There's no informal sector. They don't want it. It is considered not modern. There's no public transport. Even if there was, there's no fine fabric of businesses and street vendors and that kind of thing which people need.
0: Some new towns near Cairo have been successful. The lesson? If you build it, they will come, but only if there's work nearby. Finally, turkeys don't vote for Christmas, but several oil and gas companies did write to the FT this week calling for a global tax on carbon. That may seem counterintuitive. But the FT's Alan Livesey saw a simple explanation. The
2: prosaic <laughs> uh,
0: slant here is that these guys have a lot of natural gas, half of their uh, reserves, proven reserves in natural gas amongst this group of European companies. Um, so pretty clearly they seem to be saying, not, not seem to be saying, they are very clearly saying, choose natural gas over coal every time. So we're, you know, we're really seeing this fracturing of the, of the group uh, of fossil
1: fuel producers, really.
0: We are still waiting for a letter from coal producers. That's all for this week. Please check out all our other podcasts at ft.com podcasts. We'll be back next Friday with a roundup of the best bits of audio and video. Thanks for listening. For more downloads, go to ft.com podcasts.